0: All right, welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Al D. Uh, thanks for joining today, and I'm really excited because I have Nikita Mitchell uh, here with me on the podcast. Uh, Nita, N- Nikita is a Haas MBA alum, um, the founder of Above the Bottom Line, which is gonna talk about in a little bit, and also a strategy manager um, at Cisco. And so I have known Nikita for a couple years, uh, and I'm really excited because uh, she has a lot of great, Not only thoughts and ideas, but has done a lot of great work when it comes to thinking about the intersection, really, of of business and corporate social responsibility um, and what that really means. And I think that's a super important topic for everyone, but in particular the types of people who are in business school who are probably going to be the leaders, leaders and managers of tomorrow. And so I'm really glad Nikita's here to talk about some of that. And so um, Nikita, thank you so much um, for joining me today. I always love to start with a warm up question. Um, so my warm-up question for you is, what are you watching, what are you reading, or what are you listening to right now? What's your media, what's your, what's your media consumption looking like these days?
1: Well, first of all, I'm excited to be here. It has been um, really fun following your journey and building your own platform, so um, it's cool to be able to be a part of it. So thank you for inviting me. And in terms of what I'm consuming these days, okay, so I'm always, I'm a nerd, so I'm always consuming lots of business news and content, like constantly. But in terms of what's interesting, I'm obsessed with the show Hannah on Amazon Prime. The new season just came out and I started watching it last night. Um, I'm in between books right now. I just hosted a book club on reimagining capitalism. And I'm going to be reading or rereading Winners Take All next for a book club. But in between, I'm going to be reading How We Show Up, which is a book by a friend, Mia Birdsong. So it's super interesting. I'm excited to dig into that. And then the most recent podcast that I, I listened to that I thought was really good was American Scandal. And there's an episode on big tobacco. So basically, it goes into how long... Ago, they knew that tobacco was actually really dangerous and the, the lengths that they went through, the lengths they went to, to, um, keep that information from the public. It's super interesting and it sounds very similar to what's going on with big oil right now.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, the one, I think all of those are great. The one I really latched on to that you said is uh, winner's take all. Um, yes. I read and I've uh, read Anand's book. Um, and I definitely definitely resonated with me very strongly. And, uh, I uh it's funny I was actually I've been writing a post of like books MBA students should read and I actually I put that one on there uh I, I definitely admit that it will probably stir some people the wrong way or may be a little controversial because many of the things that business school teaches are the antithesis of that book but yes. for, it's for that reason why I want to put it on there because I really want people to think about that and internalize that um so uh yeah I uh I I def- that that one for sure definitely stuck out to me
1: That book is That book is really powerful. I think exactly for the reasons you just said. And also because I think he plays just a really great role as an instigator. He doesn't propose the solutions, which pisses a lot of people like us off because we are problem solvers. But he does do an excellent job through his style of making you interrogate why you made the decisions you make. And like where is it truly rooted? Is it really rooted in a desire to change or is it rooted in a desire to maintain your privilege or Mm -hmm. the power that you currently hold within the system?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And for those who uh, haven't read it, really quick summary, winners take all. Definitely go look it up on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Uh, The genesis a a quick summary of it is that um, many businesses out there claim to be doing well and doing good Uh, But sometimes uh, when they try, when they go and uh, promote solutions that promote the work, the good work that they're doing, um, a lot of times what they're doing is actually uh, keeping a lot of this, the privilege that they have in place and intact. Or perhaps when they say that they're doing things that are doing good, they're actually harming um, uh, many groups of people, particularly the marginalized and underserved. Um, And it particularly takes a little bit of a shot at uh, the quote unquote elitist, uh, Folks who, particularly those who spend a lot of time in Davos, or spent a lot of time in Davos, or Or consulting, or consulting, (laughs) or perhaps maybe some companies that uh, some of (laughs) us on this podcast may or may not have worked upon at in the past, or (laughs) certainly companies that many students from business school go and 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 want to work at. And so, Mm -hmm. um, even if you disagree with it, I highly recommend uh, picking up that book um, because I think it's a very provocative read. So, um, back to you for a second. Uh, So, talk to me a little bit about. About yourself, and you know, initially thinking back to before business school, you know, why did you even choose to go to business school in the first place and get your MBA?
1: Yeah, so I actually studied business in undergrad and did the very traditional. um, Don't know what else to do with my life, so I fell into consulting. I actually did investment banking for my internships. I worked at Lehman Brothers for two summers and graduated in 2008. So that changed the plan just a little bit. And then I was like, well, what's the next best thing? consulting so I went and did that um, but the whole time I knew that I was passionate about social impact and I just didn't know how to bring that interest in line with my love for business and so I figured consulting was a safe bet I would get really good skills and then I could figure out what to do with it later well I did I decided to jump into the nonprofit sector and it was just a horrible experience like The nonprofit sector is important and critical and does amazing work, but it also has its own systemic issues. And I think what it taught me was I would rather deal with the systemic issues in business where I already had a passion and figure out how I can use my voice there. So the natural transition for me was a master's degree at that point. I was about five years out. And so I decided that I wanted to choose a school that I felt like would make space for that those combined interests, that passion, and more importantly, would have would give me a network of students and alumni who care deeply about the things that I care about. So Berkeley was at the top of the list for that reason.
0: Yep, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I forgot about your your past uh, experience in the nonprofit sector, but um, something that you know I've been thinking a lot about, and I know we briefly touched on this before we jumped on here. Um, so, because you've seen a little bit of the nonprofit, obviously you've seen the business world and you've seen you know, business school. Um, I'm just curious you know, as we think about some of the larger issues that our society is facing, whether it's things like uh, systemic inequality or, or healthcare um, or education or um, just the challenges of the economy, um, because you've seen many facets of both business, nonprofit, et cetera, um, what, what responsibility do you think MBA students have? You know to think about this and kind of take a role in 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 understanding what these issues are, um, because uh, I, I you know I'm leading the witness here. I have an opinion on this, but I'm just curious because you have seen uh, a lot of different perspectives. Kind of what your take is?
1: Yeah, I I know we've talked about your perspective, and I completely agree with it. I think this is an important conversation because what we learn in these institutions profoundly shape how we go out and lead within organizations. And as we're all witnessing right now, these organizations are being pushed and shoved into a new era. (laughs) And I think before, you know, I would say before I'd say 2020, my conversation with you would have been, I think it's really important for us to lead the conversation and, and kind of influence that change. Now I think that change is happening and yeah. any organization that doesn't get on track is gonna be left behind. And so you could argue that if you want to be successful in your career, you need to be able to understand the issues and lead in that context. Um, and I think on a more basic level, As MBA students, you're going out into these organizations, helping them to solve problems. That's why a lot of us are drawn to an MBA, right? We like to solve business challenges. Well, you can't solve a challenge that you don't understand. And if it's not your lived experience in particular, which let's be honest, most MBA students don't have a lived experience of being marginalized because it's just the numbers, then you have a responsibility to do the research and understand what are people fighting for right now? Why are they, how did we get here? How do the organizations that we choose to work for contribute and facilitate the problems that we see in society? You know, it could be as simple as, um, you know, I don't know if you follow rent the runway when the CEO gave all employees the same maternity leave. Like why is it a norm in our corporations that hourly employees get less parental leave than salaried employees. Do they have a shorter period of pregnancy? I just don't understand. Like, why is that a logical thing? So things like this, I feel like we have to be very, we have to take ownership of as we become leaders within organizations.
0: Totally. And I think to your point, one of the beauties of business school is that you do get two years uh, and you are in a class that has people who are coming in from all backgrounds and, and experiences. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, more diverse than I think than when we were in school, but still plenty of work to be done. Of more to go, but but there are like there you know you do meet people of different walks of life and of different experiences, and I do think that it uh, every MBA student has the opportunity to really push themselves to to learn about those other experiences and also the space and the privilege to go and actually do that if they so choose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, it you know th- you don't have any excuse that you don't have the time or that you don't have the opportunity. Like it, it's there for you, and yeah. so. It's on you to kind of, uh, to do something with that. Um, So I want to get it right into the, um, you know, I know you started Above the Bottom Line um, a couple years ago. Yeah. And so talk to me a little bit more about that. You know, what is it, you know, what, you know, what's behind it and, um, and what have you maybe learned, you know, from, from, from building it from where it was to where it is now? Mm,
1: I love that question. So Above the Bottom Line is a platform. Primarily right now, it is a newsletter that I send out. And the premise is that I keep watch on how companies respond to the biggest challenges facing humanity. And I do that through um, sharing witty and gif-filled, or gif, if you say it that way, (laughs) gif-filled content that makes the conversation about corporate responsibility more accessible to the average person. Because right now, a lot of that content is geared toward a corporate social responsibility or CSR professional. And it's very boring, it's very dry, And it's just not engaging. So I started this in 2017, largely out of frustration. So at the time, um, Trump had just come in office a few months before, and, and there was the immigration ban, and there were protests all across the country at all the airports. I'm sure you remember that pretty vividly. And like many people, I was just feeling really helpless and frustrated, and I wanted to know, like, who is doing anything about this, who with power is trying to change this. And I came across an article um, that covered all of the CEOs and industries that were speaking up, that were either making public statements, that were writing um to the president basically, and saying like this is not right. And here's why this is not right. And it was the first time at least I had seen a kind of groundswell of response from the corporate sector at that level at least that visible level and straight from the mouths of ceos and i just thought it was really powerful and i was like i want to one i want to see more of this two who's tracking it because i want to keep watch on how these kinds of conversations evolve like they say one thing but then what do they do how do they respond to another issue um, and I think that year we just saw company after company being forced to speak up on things from DACA to race to just everything, um, LGBT rights. And so the newsletter was born out of that, like, frustration to just, like, get something out in the world that helps people keep track of of this kind of conversation. Um, but originally it had been inspired by a podcast idea, which I'm still I'm working on, so that'll be fun. Um, I'm obsessed with business interviews like how I built this and and, and planet money and anything that's very story-based business conversations, but I always feel like nobody's asking them the hard questions about their impact on society and how they make some of the decisions that they make related to social impact. And so that's another element of Above the Bottom Line that's really important to me as well.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And one of the things that I kind of reach on to now is like, I think about when you started this for versus where we are today, I think we're finally starting to get to a point where you can't just say things anymore. Yes. You know, and, you know, I think lately um, I've seen a lot of posts or articles, which is, you know, we think about like supporting like the black community and yes. um, one of the ones I saw recently was like, um, we don't need any more mentors. We just need your money.
1: Yes. <laughs> Yes, especially right. within the startup space,
0: right? Sure. Yeah, exactly. Where it's, it's crazy? Like, yeah, it's like okay, great. Like saying something great—that's that's that's table stakes. Yep. But what we want now is like, all right, well, what are you actually tactically going to do that matches the thing that you said? It's no yeah. longer just you know, like I don't need another report. I don't need another program. Like I just and like we need to see like actual tangible results. And so that's that's why I think something like about the bottom line or things like that are, are great because um, it helps shed lights to who is being accountable um, and perhaps who isn't. And I think certainly just given the past year, I'm sure you have plenty of things to write about and oh think about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> to say the least. Sometimes I have to like, just turn off the news. <laughs> it's like a water sure. ho- It's like drinking from a fire hose.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about one of your most recent issues and uh, or email newsletters that you wrote in, uh, in this, issue. You, you shared a personal story about an experience you had before going out to speak at a, at a conference. And I was just yeah. wondering if you, mind mind, you know, maybe sharing a little bit more of the, a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. So that was, um, oh man, what year was that? Five years ago. That was 2015. Yes. Yeah, so that was right after I graduated. Actually, that was the, the month I graduated from business school. I got an award from the Forte Foundation. Um, The Edie Hunt Inspiration Award and a lot of it was for my work on campus specifically related to diversity um, gender diversity and so it was in Georgetown on campus at Georgetown University I remember checking into the hotel getting dressed having to go down and then they told me that day I think it was like you'll we'll give you the award but also like can you give an acceptance speech And I was just like, okay, I guess that's fine. Like, I'll put something together real quick. Um, But then I think I turned on the news or I opened up the news on my phone and I read about um, whatever the latest happenings were for the Charleston Nine. So the, the, the guy who went into that church and shot nine people who were in Bible study. And I just remember seeing a photo or a video of just a very blank face, his very blank, unapologetic, unconcerned, uncaring reaction to what was happening as a consequence to his, his decision. And I just broke down. I just broke down. And it was a year of just really heavy shit in general. Like it was the year that black lives matter really started to pick up steam across the country Um, there were more reported, at least visibly reported incidents of violence, police brutality in particular, um, that were becoming more visible to the average person. And it was really hard to navigate those conversations on campus. I was one of three Black women at Haas. And when those things happen, you walk into a room and most people aren't even having a conversation about it. It's really isolating. And so it was just kind of like the the straw that broke the camel's back. It was just the last thing that really just broke me open. And I had to go downstairs and give this acceptance speech for this award in a few minutes. And so I talked about in the piece how like I literally just washed my face, (laughs) brushed my hair, put my heels on, And went downstairs prepared to kind of just act like another day, like everything is fine because this is what I do every day as a black woman in America. Um, But then I got on stage and it's so funny because I don't remember what my thoughts were in that moment, but I just remember speaking from my heart. And when I got off that stage, I noticed that there was a standing ovation and When I went back and listened to what I said, I realized, you know, what was really powerful about that moment was that it was the first time that, one, I was so raw and honest about how much being a minority in these MBA programs and conferences and everything that I go to, it it starts to wear on you. But also in that room where I was being honored for my work in diversity around a lot of women, I was one of a handful of Black people even in that room. And so the other LGBT women, the other Black women in that room felt seen in a way that they hadn't felt seen as well. Um, And so that was just one of the most important moments of my post-MBA career where I just recognized, like, I don't want to pretend that I'm okay when I'm not. And I don't think it does anybody a service when I act like everything is fine. When... I am in spaces where I think people care. I've intentionally put myself in spaces where I believe people care. And so I'm working on showing up and being more honest about when these just really heartbreaking and traumatic moments in our country happen, like showing up to work and just acting like it's another day is not an option for me anymore.
0: Uh, Thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, I think part of why... I had asked uh, asked the question and I wanted you to talk about it was just because um, even to me, at least even amidst a very painful time for you, there's um, there is um, there is beauty and strength and strength and beauty. And like that to me is like kind of like what's shown through in the Mm -hmm. sense that um, here in this very painful moment um, you're able to give the speech and by you being there, you're showing up and, and, and being an inspiration for, you know, people who are out there. I mean, yeah. even if it is not when you're at your best and, you know, I think that, or, in a, the best state of mind, given what was going on. And I think that um, there's a certain beauty in that of knowing that um, even though this is a really tough time, like me just being here in this moment uh, can be a value and can be an inspiration to other people. And, um, and it doesn't need, like, you don't need to be perfect. You just, you're, you're there and you showed up.
1: Yeah. um yeah so
0: yeah that's that was what stuck out to me for that
1: I think it's something that I have to be reminded by mentors and friends a lot like sometimes just our very existence mm-hmm. is an inspiration and is a pow- has a powerful impact on institutions and not to say that it's enough but no, or it changes sure. everything but our ability to show up as our full selves mm-hmm. is a very powerful thing because it empowers other people to be able to show up as their full selves as well so um, I, I take that responsibility very seriously now that I have the privilege of showing up in sure. spaces the way I, I want to
0: sure sure it is and I, I'm glad that you do but I also recognize that it's um, it's not e- it's not always easy right and yeah. um, you know even with that privilege like that it's you know it's it doesn't um, we as society have not always made it easy for for, for people to do that um yeah. so uh, it's uh, it's it it's it, yeah, it just, that stuck out to me. Um, but um, what I also wanted to give you a chance to do, because I know you have lots of thoughts, um, also in the, that issue, um, you talked a little bit about, um, and we mentioned this briefly, that companies love to say things, right? And they love to join the conversation, particularly when you wrote this, this was like in the middle of June, like a little bit, like the second or third week of June. And so by that point, many companies have come out and made statements to varying degrees about um uh the um uh you know uh, George Floyd and um uh and Black Lives Matter and just in general like rac- racial injustices that exist in the United States, um police brutality, et cetera. Um and one of the things you mentioned is that some people are doing this what seems to be a right way. And then many people are doing this in some ways that are kind of wrong. Mm-hmm. Um so would love for you to kind of share your thoughts, your takes about, you know, maybe both sides of that. You know, what were some of the things you saw where you were like, oh respect like that that looks pretty good and then maybe some other ones that perhaps missed the mark or could have been a little bit better
1: yeah well I'll start with Cisco because I have been very impressed by how our leadership has handled the conversation and I think what's really important to say here is there are the public statements that all of us have access to and they're important But what's more important is the experience, in this case, of your Black employees, your Black customers. And I think that there is power in hearing from them directly whether or not you are doing the work to to affect change. And so we don't always get to hear what's happening inside of an organization. But what's interesting about this time, and I'll come back to Cisco, is because of these public statements, the companies whose actions are not in line with that statement, they're now being publicly outed, right? Which I find really exciting personally <laughs> that av- everyday people are using social media to basically create power to hold their organizations accountable in a way that <clears throat> haven't always been able to. Um, but Cisco, I, I remember the, the Friday that um, all the protests picked up we knew that we had a company wide meeting that Monday and in my mind it was going to be like, okay, if I need to take Monday off, I'll take Monday off. Like it's probably going to be a rough one, right? Turned out to be a rough one. And I decided to take Monday off, but I decided also to get online and just join our weekly call because we've been doing them. It used to be monthly. Now we've been doing them weekly with Corona and On these calls, all of our C-suite executives are usually on it. Our CEO and our um, chief people officer lead it. And they also bring in other guests to have conversations. What was really powerful is the very beginning of that call, not only did they acknowledge what was happening. So the fact that we are experiencing unrest across the country, people are protesting, people are really upset. You know, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, all these people, Tony McDade, like they named what we were experiencing in an email over the weekend and they reiterated it on the call. And then they said Black Lives Matter. Now, this sounds real basic, but so many institutions are avoiding those three words, which in my mind is a non-starter. You cannot say you care about your black customers and your black employees and your black stakeholders if you cannot say that their lives actually matter. Period. Like I won't even discuss this with anybody because I feel like that's 101, and I'm not here to teach a 101 lesson with anybody, right? That's table stakes. So the other thing that I thought was really powerful is they had a couple of guests come in and facilitate conversations. So we had like people like Brian Stevenson. Um, come in and talk about what's going on in the country and and this was a series of 2 or 3 weeks that they facilitated race focused conversations on top of business updates like they had like 15 minutes of business updates and 45 minutes of like let's just talk about what's happening um, and in one of those conversations there were some really really horrible comments being posted in the chat by employees now mind you you see people's full names so it's not an anonymous forum by any means. And our executives are monitoring it along with teams of people who facilitate and respond to questions. So there were a lot of really, really racist comments being made during this one particular call. And our chief people officer re- redirected the conversation and was like, I want to address something very quickly. So they started to set up a framework earlier in that call about, like, what is a red culture, a green culture, an or, or orange culture and a green culture? Like, what does it look like to be a green culture? It's inclusive. It allows people to bring them, their full selves to work. Um, red culture, it's toxic. <laughs> it's where people discrim- experience a lot of discrimination, et cetera, et cetera. So she stopped the conversation and she said, I want to talk about who we are as a company and what we won't tolerate. And she pulled out some of the comments that she determined to be a part of the red culture. And one of them was that all lives matter, black lives don't matter. That was somebody who in their full government name in a chat where our executives read said. And I just remember, and she pulled out a few of them and she just made it very clear like, this is not the kind of place that we are. This is not tolerated. And again, I don't know what happened on the back end, but I know that um, I was very engaged in conversation with other Black employees. And we were taking notes of who were making comments. And some people were emailing managers of these people because you know, they put themselves out there. Imagine what they feel comfortable saying when no one's watching was our big concern. Some of those people, by the end of the day, they weren't even in the company directory. Now, I have no idea. What actually happened, I'm only telling you from an observer point of view, it felt powerful to see that people who felt comfortable saying really, really horrible things publicly like that at a company forum um, are either not with the company or have been directly <laughs> addressed about their situation. Um, and I don't know what went on behind the scenes, but again, from just where I'm sitting as a Black employee, It was just a really powerful thing to see our leadership not ignore some of the things that, you know, Black employees have been saying are a problem. But for the first time, I think it's being brought to light in a way that some people never have seen. And that was like really exciting and and powerful for me. So I think that's one way that companies can do it right. Like focusing on the internal culture. How are we showing up for the people who we can impact every day? Make sure they know that this is a place that they are safe. The way that I've seen it or I've heard it done wrong, um, one I already mentioned, not saying Black Lives Matter. Like, don't even write a statement if you can't say it. Just be quiet. I think it's just pointless. Um, There's two ways to do it wrong. There's the, I don't really care, but I'm going to pretend to care way, which is put out a statement, but like, actually, we've never cared about diversity inside and our people feel like we're lying, but nobody really knows on the outside because- you know, we control that narrative. And then a lot of those companies are being brought to task. Like, I don't know if you followed the the Refinery29 situation where those Black women came out and said, no, you're lying. This is bullshit. You do not treat us well. Um, And then there's the other route of really wanting to do it right, but not knowing how and not being willing to pay people who do this work and putting the burden on your employee resource groups and your Black employees without paying them more (laughs) to take on the emotional labor of helping your organization get um, organ um, navigate this situation. And that I think is a really unfortunate place because you, you probably will get employees that are willing to help and are passionate about it, but it is not their job. And to be quite frank, I don't think everybody's qualified to do it just because your lived experience In this case, as a black person, I have a lived experience as a black person. That does not mean I'm going to be the person who can tell you how to address systemic racism in your institution. I can speak to my experiences and how it's impacted me. There are diversity practitioners who are trained and educated and have done a lot of work on this topic and they deserve a lot of money um one of my best friends does this work and i tell her she does god's work because you couldn't pay me enough to help some of these institutions totally. transform their culture you know so i think that's the second way that a lot of people do it wrong they're they're leaning on the free labor internally they're well intentioned but they don't understand the toxic environment that they're unintentionally creating as a result
0: yeah no thank you for that i think that's a good that's a good breakdown and um i think that to your point there were um, not all, but there were quite a few companies as a result of COVID who actually were, were cutting their DE&I staff, right? Yep. And then upon realizing all this stuff, uh, everything going on, it was kind of like mm-hmm. an about face to a certain degree um, mm-hmm. because those are the exact people that they need in a, in, in a time like this. And I also very much agree that um, uh, a... You know, the employee resource groups are great resources, but they're they're employees first in their, to do a job, whatever job that is they have to do. And I and I think it's a great they're great to have, but no, you have to um, you have to bring in the like you have to bring in the experts and pay them to, to do this work. And certainly too, I mean, they're well intentioned, but if you're really trying to change a culture, um, it's it's gonna take more than free labor to to, to like actually do that right? Absolutely. Like, like it, it's going to take a lot, a lot more than that. And then the last thing I was going to say, um, you know, what you're describing on the all hands call, I know that this has happened at a couple other companies. I know that, um, uh, there was an article a couple of weeks ago about something similar that, that happened at LinkedIn. Um, and the one, and then the one thing that was interesting about that was that, um, they had set it up as a global call. Okay. And so what ended up happening was, is that there are some people from some other parts of the other countries who kind of raised their hand and said hey like there's some bad stuff that's going on in my country you didn't you know what, how come you didn't do anything about that right how come like and and they don't live in the united states so the, some of the things that are going on like don't really um culturally like they don't they just they're just out of sight out of mind um, right. in, in addition to um you know people saying very bad things um in this case from my understanding uh, they they couldn't attribute the names to them so it at, at, which seems like a pretty big oversight. Um, uh, but um, I, the other thing I was just going to mention and what I think you speak to from your experience is that um, it's not like these people thought of these just happened to come up with these ideals overnight. Yes. They've just, they've been there. And yes. it's just that we're, the majority at large is finally paying attention now to things that probably many Black people or other people of color or other underrepresented groups probably have been, saying and knowing all along
1: yeah and you know what's scary that these people who make the comments publicly felt comfortable enough to do so so imagine how they're leading teams imagine how they're doing performance reviews and phrases and interviews and imagine the people who don't feel comfortable saying it publicly but know that they have a culture that supports their point of view potentially in their leadership that's a terrifying reality that I think a lot of leaders are now being forced to confront.
0: Right. And I think for all of the things that you just listed, it is exactly why a statement isn't enough, because if you actually think about what it takes to drive change and what it means, and you think about things like culture, it's, it's not just what people say to each other. It's how projects are getting assigned. It's how promotions are done. It's how compensation is done. It, is much more than just uh, throwing money at a charitable cause and calling it a day. Um, It's like fundamentally um, the behaviors within your organization that are either rewarded or championed or or not in some cases. And no statement is ever going to be strong enough to, to fix something as, as, as fundamental, as fundamental as that. Completely Um, agree. One I saw, I think you posted in, in this on LinkedIn. The one that also stood out and I saw some other people who post this too was Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> oh my God. It's so funny because I feel like there are all these hilarious memes about Ben and Jerry's um, post about Black Lives Matter. I don't know if you saw the one that was like, uh, defund the police, You know, get rid of everything, and we got fucking blueberries in our ice cream to support you. It's like something ridiculous like that. And it's just like, meanwhile, everybody's like, um, all lives matter, including not white people. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. 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 They, they, but they've been doing this work forever. And I think that's the difference with, um, sure. with why people take them seriously is because they've been responding and engaged in the Black Lives Matter conversation since the beginning. So right. they didn't just jump on board now because everybody's talking about it. They have been supporting the um, demands of the movement for years now, you know? So they're not perfect either, but no. that's one thing that I think they get right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think to me also, that's, that's the point, right? Is that um, if you're doing it right, when these things happen, it's... It sh- what you do shouldn't necessarily need to be news if you've been doing it right all along. Exactly. It should just be the thing that you just naturally know to do, because that's what your culture tells you is the right thing to do in that world.
1: Exactly. Moment. Exactly.
0: Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so one of the things, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I want to talk about it through the lens, particularly of um, um, racism, as well as inequality um, okay. that exists. Um, so getting an MBA is a privilege. Right. Not many people in the world have that. Right. Particularly from a top institution, uh, you know, top 25, et cetera. Um, As we think about like what that means for current MBA students, um, what responsibility do they have knowing that, you know, they have this opportunity to learn so much and get access to all these resources and all these people? And, um, you know, what do you think in terms of what responsibility they have? you know, to fight things like systemic racism or to um, play a role in creating more diverse, inclusive and equitable cultures. Like, um, you know, again, like these are the people who um, uh, are, are going to be leading teams and organizations uh, of the future. So, you know, what, what are they, what responsibility do they have and what should they be doing um, in particular, not singling anyone out here, but in particular for people who tend to be from well-represented, you know, populations?
1: Yeah. I think it's such an important conversation because it's not something that I've heard people talk about when starting business school. Mm -hmm. A lot of the conversations are like, what do you want to do? How do you transition? How do you pivot? How do you network? But a huge part of the MBA experience is the social (laughs) interactions and the social life. And what's the point of the social life? It's to develop relationships with other students so that you build a really strong network when you leave. So I think the responsibility of MBA students, first and foremost, is to make sure that you're not leaving that institution without understanding more about the breadth and the depth, having more of an understanding of other students' experiences. Right. That includes international students, but it absolutely, especially if you're going to be a leader in America and a corporate America, um, especially if you're going to be a leader in corporate America, (laughs) um, you have a responsibility to understand marginalized groups here. And I think you said this before we hopped on, like. An MBA program provides you an easy way to get access to communities you may not have ever interacted with in the first place, and to get to know people in a new and in-depth way that you might not have had an opportunity to get to know. Um, And to leave that institution without taking advantage of that is a poor leadership choice at minimum, you know, because how are you going to go out and lead people from different backgrounds when you go into the workforce? But more importantly, it's kind of an irresponsibility, like it's irresponsible because as just an engaged citizen of this country, or if you're, again, working in corporate America, just an engaged person, um, you have to understand the issues that we're trying to address in society. You have to understand how we got here. And more importantly, you have to understand how the organization you are a part of perpetuates whatever those inequalities are. And you're going to have decision-making power when you become a leader in a company. And if you are making decisions ignorant of the impact of those decisions, then you are only making things worse.
0: I think that's, I think that's well said. And as a, um, as a follow-up to that so obviously a big portion of business school is finding an internship or finding a career and I'm curious you know with that in mind you know what are your thoughts about how MBA students should should be evaluating the companies that they could be finding themselves working at or interning at Um, with respect to what we just kind of talked about right like yeah um, you know like I'm not going to say like, you know, you shouldn't work for a company does all these bad things. You shouldn't work for them. You know, everyone's got their own rights, but I'm just curious, like, you know, what kind of thought framework or like mindset should, do you think should MBA students kind of keep in mind knowing mm-hmm. that when you do go and work for company A or company B, like you are representing them and to a degree, like what they stand for or, or what they, yeah, what they mean.
1: Yeah. I think there's a, a spectrum. So that on one end, it's the. I want to go into a company and be a person who pushes it in the right direction. So I had classmates who were willing to work at Exxon, willing to work at Walmart with the idea that like, if they can get these companies to make even 2% of their choices better, it has a huge impact on society. When you make a choice like that though, you have to recognize that you're going to be very lonely a lot of the time. You're probably going to hit your head against brick walls a lot of the time. And you're probably going to make very, very small and incremental change, right? Some people are motivated by that, and that could be interesting. Then there's the other extreme where people are like, I want to work directly in social entrepreneurship or for a company that's doing really, really strong corporate responsibility work, right? And I had a lot of classmates who were looking at organizations like Cliff Bar or Method, and they were very determined to work somewhere that already had um that ethos, right? And in that case, you have to be willing to understand that like one, still no company's perfect. So there's still gonna be a lot of things you have to deal with and that the company's gonna have to improve. But two, those opportunities are going to be a lot smaller, and at least now let 's hope that that won 't be the case forever um, and They might be harder to get into, and they might be more niche but then there 's a the whole spectrum in the middle, right, and so I think the framework that I would tell people is to decide like where do you want to be on that spectrum like I know I want to be a part of facilitating change, but not at some massive scale that like will make me feel depressed like i don 't want to work at Exxon, but I knew somebody who studied. Um, environmental issues and wanted to work and help facilitate, you know, the kind of renewable energy space and their investment in it. Powerful work, you know. I think the other thing too is don't underestimate your voice even in the interview process. So I can't tell you how many times I've heard um, or read about executives really bringing conversations to the forefront with their leadership team and with their boards because they're hearing these questions in interviews. So go into interviews and ask about diversity and inclusion um, initiatives. Go in and ask how the company is integrating corporate responsibility into their day-to-day operations Not how much money they're donating or how many hours they're volunteering, but how do they think about all of these things in their core business practices. If you're in marketing, ask them how they are practicing inclusive marketing. If you're in supply chain, ask them how they are tracking the the, um, labor um, issues within their supply chain and the sourcing within their supply chain. Think of the ways in which that part of the business is responsible for creating a better world or just not create making it worse. Let's be honest. That's where most companies are starting. Um, and ask those questions because that has a really powerful impact on companies as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. It has really powerful com- impact on companies. And more importantly, it'll get you, give you a sense of where that company falls on the spectrum that I described in the beginning.
0: Yeah. I think that, I think that that's great advice. And I love the framework that you kind of laid out. And to your point, um, one of the things that I, I think a lot of people do when they are interviewing or when they're evaluating companies is they always kind of, you know, will ask a question about, oh, what's the culture like, right? And yeah. I think it's a very, the, the thought behind it is right. Um, where it gets muddy is that like, it can be a very amorphous question um, at times, right? It can be kind of fuzzy. And so um, what I think a lot about is that if you are in interviewing with a company and, and using what you said in terms of you know, really pushing and asking about it is really finding out, you know, and asking, you know, what, what's, what are some examples of behaviors that are rewarded here? Right. Absolutely. And that will tell you oftentimes a lot about what the company actually stands for. Right. Because it's not what they say. It's like, you know, what, ha- you know, who gets, you know, who gets the promote, like who gets the promotion, mm-hmm. who gets the dollars, like what gets, you know, what are the things that are actually get rewarded around here? Right. Yeah. And yeah. And
1: also remembering that, like for large companies, I I can speak for Cisco, and I'm sure you have a similar experience in your own um, career. Different parts of businesses have different cultures. Sure. Yeah. And you know, asking that question of people will help you understand where those differences might be, and you know, the yeah. different people you ask. Um, and also, like again, like if you're asking about DNI you're asking about you know, social impact as it relates to that person's job and yeah. they don't have an answer. That says a lot about yeah. what's rewarded because believe me, if it's an important part of their job, they have an answer. If yeah. it's not, they do not. You know what mm-hmm. I mean?
0: Totally. Totally. And to your point, I mean, particularly, uh, both of us having worked at Deloitte, um, you know, a big company like Deloitte, you know, in particular, particularly with just the staffing model and the like, yeah. um, Two people can work at Deloitte and have very, very different experiences based off of where you are in the firm and what you do. And yeah. I was very lucky because very early on, um, I ended up working for a senior manager who became a managing director who, um, on every single team I worked with her on, there were m- always more women than men. There were always women of color. And so I like I latched onto that right away because I just knew that number one, like it was a priority for her, but number two people followed her everywhere. So what that told me was like, this woman's for real. And this is a, she will create that culture that um, uh, people will want to work with. And that's what I wanted to be a part of. Um, Not everyone was like her by any means, but um, to your point, particularly in larger organizations, you know, you, you, you you, you absolutely can find people like that. It just may not be like everywhere you go. And so I think it's important to, you know, as you're going through that interview process to really get to know those people because, uh, uh, or that other per- the person you're interviewing with, because you do want to find out, you know, what, what that experience is going to be, could yep. be like for you. If that is important to you.
1: Yeah. And I love that you said that, you know, people follow her because I've had leaders like that too, where I'm like, and one of them was a Deloitte manager. I always tell her she could say, we're going on a mission to the moon. And I yep, would just ask course. her how soon, <laughs> yeah. no. because I trust that if she's decided yeah. we're going to the moon, it is the best plan out yeah. there. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think also one way to get more insight into that. Cause when you're outside of, of an organization, right. it is so hard to learn yeah. that yeah. I reach out to people on people's teams. Yeah. So let's say, you know, somebody wanted to work on your team. <laughs> um, and I have a friend at Salesforce, then I ask them like, who is on? Yeah.
0: It, yeah and crazy. then I,
1: I reach out to them on LinkedIn and say, Hey, I just want to know a little bit about your experience working on this team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I have dodged many bullets by yes. doing that yeah including at companies that everybody want to work wants to work for
0: right right yeah for sure um, so I want to wrap up here before you I, I want to ask another question um, just to close um, because we started talking about winter take all um, and because you know you've uh, thought a lot and read a lot and written a lot about corporate social responsibility, I'm just curious knowing you know that book like how did how has that evolved your thinking about about corporate social responsibility and you know more specifically the whole ethos of doing well by doing good like I'm just I'm you know you don't have to give me like if you don't have an answer it's fine but I'm just I'm curious because it's I know it's something that I've thought a lot about
1: yeah I've thought a lot about it and I have to say like my my thoughts are still in draft mode but my draft yeah. mode thoughts are it it was hard to swallow because he literally described my career in chapter one I know it it, it me <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, this hurts. This feels real personal, <laughs> real quick. Yeah. Um, I also felt like he didn't distinguish between the people who start off their careers the way we did and the people who acquired yes. wealth through generational kind of ben- yep. privilege, which are not the same. I'm yes. not saying that our privilege doesn't also sure. cause harm. Yeah. Because it absolutely does um but i think one thing it made me realize is that the questions we need to really ask about these initiatives and these efforts is who is sitting at the table when they're being decided because if they're always being decided by white old men with money then the question is why have they not just given their money to somebody who's closer to the issue right and if they've given their money to somebody closer to the issue how many strings are attached in receiving that money. So I think it's made me think a lot more about analyzing the decision makers. Yes. And, and from that, like not their intentions, but like what is the true impact of that program if everybody looks the same? And then when you do have people who don't look the same, let's say you have black and brown people, you have women, you have queer people do they have any power in that new, that system you've created? Mm-hmm. Because then that tells me too, a lot about your intentions.
0: Yeah. I like that. And I think your nuance is right. Um, what I took away really quickly is just that the, the way that we've been doing things is not going to work moving forward. If we actually want to create a more equitable world. And yeah. while he doesn't really give us solutions for how to do it, um, that's kind of where I kind of, I'm like, all right, well, I guess that's for us to, uh, to figure out. But that's also why I think it's so important for MBA students to take that responsibility seriously, because yes. they will, those are the types of people that potentially could have the chance to create other ways of doing things. Right. Um, you know, and like, know, I guess maybe said another way is that um, um, maybe capitalism doesn't work for everything. Yep. Maybe not. And so if not, like what, what does, and yep. You know, there's certainly things that have gone in that way, which he talks about in terms of B Corps and, you know, there's, there's some, there's, there's been some progress there, but, uh, I, and where I'll kind of end this is that I think that book is so important because, um, those solutions, um, are going to, you know, I do think business in particular business schools have a, a role they should be playing in helping find those. And, um, and I hope they, I hope they take that charge seriously because it is seriously needed. So yeah, that's what I Um, Nikita, thank you so much for joining me. This was fantastic. I appreciate you sharing so much of your story about the above the bottom line and riffing back and forth with me about uh, how businesses need to do better.
1: (laughs) Yes, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Hi everyone, LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.